Hello, Internet. This is Genius Cast with Scott and Mike. I'm Scott. Mike is out again, but uh, don't feel bad for him. He's on vacation, uh, so he's he's having an absolute blast of a time. In for him today is the one and only Miles Nye. Miles, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Well, today is a special podcast. We're going to be talking about all the main matches through the first four seasons of The Genius, and who better to talk to than the man whose job is built around designing and and running and playing all sorts of wonderful interactive multiplayer uh, social type games. So uh, it's, a, it's a thrill to have you here and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I'm always excited to talk about the genius today. I'm coming to you from a hotel room in Palm Springs. I'm attending a wedding tonight. I'm actually officiating it, uh, which is a different kind of game altogether. Not really a game actually, even with a tortured definition, but uh, it's uh, fun for me. I think actually, uh, Mike is in Southern California as well. Is that where his vacation is? or Yeah, he, he had thought at one point maybe uh, he could meet up with you and you guys could, uh, could record together. But I think he's mostly in San Diego, and people who come into town from out of state tend to think L.A. and San Diego are closer together than they are. They're really not. not I've never made that mistake. I've never made that mistake, but I have made the mistake of like telling friends, like, hey, I'll be in L.A. And they're like, yeah, but I'm in a suburb of L.A. that's like three hours away from L.A. So, yeah. Um, and then I think also since we last talked, you had a child. Is that right, Scott? Yeah, yeah. We had a daughter um, three and a half weeks ago, uh, Jordan Zoe, and uh, she's doing great. My wife is doing great. My two and a half year old is doing great, even with a little less attention than he's used to. So uh, everybody is very happy together. And uh, all we need is a little more sleep. So I would think, wow. Well, congratulations to your family. Thank uh, you. This isn't just some kind of magic Right, where you just like get, you can pull like children out, out of a silk hat or something. This child was came into the world the usual way. I saw where she came out of it, it was not a silk hat. Got it. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, congratulations to you. We're very excited for you. Thank you. And uh, one more special delivery that uh, you out there are going to be interested to know about the Kickstarter that I have going for Deduction and Racing Stripe. And I'll try to make this really quick because we do want to get to the podcast. But uh, we're recording this on Saturday, October 3rd. The Kickstarter expires on Tuesday the 6th. Get there right now. Uh, In the last day, we went from about 10% to 25% funded. So this is the end of the Kickstarter where things really pick up. Head over there right now, thegreatscott.com slash games, T-H-E-G-R-E-A-T-S-C-O-T-T.com slash games for $25. You get deduction, which uh, you can use those cards to play a version of black and white that is self-reading. You don't need Dealer Nuna. You can play it just with two people. It's a great game. There's also some modifications, uh, so you can play it the way they played it on the Genius, or you can play it uh, this new way. Um, also, Racing Stripe is available. That's my version of Monorail. You can play regular Monorail with it, but my version has extra cards. There's some different things you can do. And, Miles, I sent you both, uh, both of these, and, and you said you spent quite a bit of time playing Racing Stripe so far. Yeah, I've really enjoyed playing the game. I played it with my wife, played it with my business partner, played it with my friend Willa. Uh, I like it because uh, a number of reasons. I like it because it's monorail. And, um, uh, you know, for anybody who watched the fourth season, you know, I explained the rules to my friend Willa as best as I could. We rochambeaued for who would go first, and she let me go first. And, of course, I played the Junsok move that Chung-Hoon taught him in his matchup against uh, the, uh, the doctor. Uh, and sort of snickered to myself, but she didn't declare it impossible. She added some pieces. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, I like playing it on the floor uh, because you can spread out and then the track can go in any direction. So it's good that I just a few weeks ago started uh, taking some yoga classes. So it's <laughs> okay for me to be like sprawling or moving cards around and playing this game. Um, 
And, you know, we uh, had a fun conversation with my business partner, Greg, who's also a very talented game designer. He, he, not a genius watcher, but looking at this game and going, oh, I see the ways in which it's like tie 21, but it's different. I'm excited to try it with your bonus cards, but to be quite honest, we've had such fun with the classic version of the game. I'm sure that in time, it, it is so fun having two-player games that I can play with my wife after our child goes to bed. Uh, but, the, you know, once we've played it a bit more and she's kind of caught up, because, of course, I've seen it on the genius and thought about it more, so... Once it's a little more fair, although I suppose adding those cards would be a way to make it fair because I've never played with the four-leaf clover uh, or the uh, or the three or the T intersection. Um, yeah. So definitely would recommend people throw some money at Scott's Kickstarter, get these games. The deduction I played it wrong, so it didn't work. But that was user error. <laughs> well, that's part of playtesting is um, is we refine the instructions because so the cards the cards work, but I I had explained them to you uh, very briefly. So the actual uh, final version will have written instructions, and I'm also going to do a, a quick video just to show you how to use those those self reading cards. And you mentioned playing Racing Stripe on the floor. I think actually we're going to go with slightly smaller cards, which will do two things. First, you can play it in a smaller space. Like my ideal is that you'd be able to play it on the tray table on an airplane if you want to that it's like that portable but it also lets me put more cards in the deck uh, so you could do even more different variations so once you you figured out the basic game you can level the playing field when you're playing against someone less experienced because you can like reduce your level of knowledge about the version that has more of the the fork cards or more of uh you know whatever so uh head on over to the slash games support it a lot of other genius fans are already supporting it you're supporting the game and you're supporting them too because they only get it and you only get it if the kickstarter gets funded by Tuesday the sixth, so uh, you're helping them out as well in getting their their games too. So so it's a great uh, it's a great thing. It's a great thing for the genius community. Easy for me to say because I'm the one who's kickstarted is, but I I really think it's nice that uh, we we all get to play these games and it's a lot of fun. So that's that. Um, they've got a big, they've got a good curb appeal. Uh, my three year old son saw the cards and wanted to play the game. I I sort of I do play games with him, but I figured it would be a little too tricky to t- you know he's three and a half. So uh, I showed him how Racing Stripe works. I played it between two of his toys. Two of his uh, koala played uh, Racing Stripe against each other for my son's entertainment. He thought it was great. So buy this game. It entertains children. <laughs> my two-year-old uh, took his little race car and started running it on the track. So. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Oh, my kid didn't do that. Maybe he's slow. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's get into these uh, main matches, and we'll just take them one at a time. And what I want to talk about um, – sort of strengths and weaknesses within the scope of that game as it as it fits in with the genius as a whole as it fits in with that season and also um whether or not it would be a good game to play at home and if so how you could do that some of these games um are commercially available and some of them you'd have to you'd have to do yourself with a little bit of work and i'm especially interested to talk to you when we get to the beginning of season two but we will we will get to that point i don't want to get ahead of ourselves so let's uh let's go all the way back to the beginning of season one of the genius, the first episode of the genius where we play the main match, the one, two, three game. I mean, is there a more elegant or more perfect game than the one, two, three game? I mean, we'll get there later in season one. Like maybe I I might put Kong's dilemma, which I'm just a really big fan of, but I mean, for a, for a season one episode, yeah, it's just elemental. It's just so elemental because, um, you know, you've got you've got these new players. We're meeting them for the first time. Uh, we've got these cards. Yeah, it's it's just very elemental. We've got these players meeting them for the first time. We've got these cards. Um, you know, you you have six cards, nine cards. You get nine cards, right? I don't know. It's been a long time since I watched, it, but I think <laughs> you get three ones, three twos, and three threes. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's just, you know, you're, you're the first, the first uh, iteration, like in their mind, the first, the first level of thinking is, all right, well, what strategy can I have to like pick a higher card than the person I'm playing against? And that very quickly and elegantly transforms to, well, let's plan it out. So we play our cards, you know, in, in sync and we can get ourselves each three wins and three ties uh, and, and three losses. And then it changes to, wait a second, we could structure it. So we each get four wins and four losses and one tie. And then it becomes, wait a second, we could trade cards and make sure someone gets more wins. And, and finally we get to the level we realize, wait a second, there's 13 of us. Uh, there's an odd number of cards. Someone's going to be left with a card. And so the game becomes the race to not be that person. It's just so, amazing how somebody like, you know, teacher Cha can come to that conclusion. What seems like as soon as the game is presented, I don't know if there's some editing that goes on there, but you know, that's the kind of thing that we see see happen throughout the genius and that's the ways in which to me it is aspirational tv when human men can figure out the expression the chain auction like oh i divide by nine and i'm always gonna win it doesn't matter what else i get or when um uh you know what they did with um with the fish auction in season four, where it seemed they just tumbled to the secret of the game you know right away i have a real amount of respect for that and yet it does not make the game a foregone conclusion um no, because there's also that social element because, you know, someone's going to be left with a card and that person better not feel like you're the one who did that to them because then you're going to get picked for the death match. Yeah, so great. And the, that element that you just described, it ties in so nicely with the ID exchange game in the first episode of season four. I, I just feel like, yeah, it, it definitely does. And I, I, But in particular, this game, the one, two, three game, like this is the only episode where you could play it. Like it only works as the first episode of the show, but it works perfectly in the first episode of the show. I agree. And although, you know, I know that we're not talking about death matches today, but the death match in this episode is the winning streak game, which is, you know, not an all time great death match. It's really just kind of, you know, for who they want to go home. Yeah. Ian Uh, and I named this the second worst death match of all time. Oh, okay. What's the worst? The worst was uh, the version of Indian poker where uh, you could get help from the three other players. (laughs) That was a real cluster. Yeah, that was a disaster. Um, but, you know, they're both like a network game of rock, paper, scissors, where you can both agree to the outcome. And there's certainly trust involved. I think if this were American contestants playing on Survivor or Big Brother, which are games where really, you know, it is pretty much just about, you know, betrayals. You make a deal with the other person about who's going to win. And you just do that on a network scale. Um, no, it's great. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of like rock, paper, scissors. I mean, there's that, you know, that one additional element. Like in rock, paper, scissors, each thing loses to one thing and wins to one other thing. Um, and then the one, two, three game, you know, you've got the middle, the two, which wins half the matches and loses half of them. Um, or no, that's not exactly true either. See, this is why I'm not as smart as teacher Cha. But I will um, say though, I will say though that this is definitely not a game you'd want to play at home with your friends. This is not. I don't to bring so, home no. to the game. I, think a big, I would say there's a number of reasons why not. One of them is you need exactly 13 people, and that's tricky. Well, you um, need an odd number of people. I feel like it works as well with 11 people, or maybe even like nine people. Hmm. Yeah, maybe you're right about that. But once the secrets um, out, I, also, I mean, the you know, the part of the one of the things that that and this is something we'll see a lot when we talk about main matches, but one of the things that that's, makes this game compelling is that the loser is going to have to pick someone for the death match. If you're playing with your friends, all right, so you all choose, okay, we're, so we're not going to trade enough cards with, uh, with, with Tom. He's not going to be able to, you know, he's going to be the loser. Okay, so what? Who cares? Like, he's, there's no death match you're picking someone for. It's so. true. It's different. Like, when you play No Thanks, which is like Minus Auction, right? It's the uh, off-the-shelf version of Minus Auction. I've, I bought that game and I played it because Minus Auction made it for such exciting episodes. And 
Playing No Thanks is great. Oh, I guess we'll get to that as well. Boy, it's hard just to stay focused on just on where we are. Well, everything right, connects so everything to, else. Yeah. It does. I won't discuss No Thanks any further at this time, but I think what you said is certainly true. The stakes are lower. Somebody loses and who cares? Because when you're playing with your friends in like a parlor game or social environment, there's no death match. But more than I would say, I would have given a different reason, which is this. For most people who are not hardcore gamers, just this phrase is enough to turn them off of the game. The phrase, you're going to have three ones, three twos, and three threes. People are like, what? Uh, what are you talking about? You know, like if they're willing to hang in there through that. But I just find that anytime you have too many numbers uh, in a sentence, you just lose people. Like they just make up their mind that they can't understand what you're saying. So I agree. I would not recommend this for friend play. All right. And I also probably wouldn't recommend our next main match, which is the election game, um, which was won by Choi Chang. Remember him? I do not. He's the... He's the one who everyone thought looked like Sungyu. And when you are when you have someone new who's watching The Genius and they're like, I can't tell these people apart. And you're like, just wait. In four episodes, one of the Sungyus is going to be eliminated and then you'll know who's who. Okay, that rings the But I remember from this era, Gura is amazing in this episode. Um, yeah, he just sits in the room by himself and uh, everything sort of works for him. And uh, I believe he, he dozes off during... the <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the- I did not goes off. This 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 is a main match when I'm telling people about the show who haven't seen it. I describe this game because everybody's like, "Oh, I get that." And especially when you throw in the twist at the end, there's chips, and the winners' chips get turned into chips. They're all worthless. That is a really interesting consideration. It absolutely is, and again, the, that's one of the things that makes this less playable at home is that you, you, you know, you're playing for garnets, right? The games where you're you're really playing to accumulate garnets, or or one of the key components is how many garnets can you get. Um, it's there's it means a lot more when you're playing on a TV show and a garnet is worth a uh, thousand U.S. dollars as opposed to when you're playing at home and a garnet is worth like you know a thumbs up. So yeah, exactly, totally. I mean, you know, there are are um, friendly poker tournaments where people, you know, put in cash and come over to a house. So, you know, I think it would certainly be, and like the survivor game that I played on the beach here in LA, um, everybody put in 10 bucks and the winner got a hundo and runner up got, I think 50 and the third place got the $10 back or something something like that. Um, I, again, I don't think that would turn this into uh, a a better game to play with friends. What would you think? uh, This is of course something that I think about, you know, all the time from morning till night, what would an American or an English language version of the genius be like? Because I think if we just take a look at where we are right now in terms of the world, I think that a UK version of the genius is more likely to arrive faster than an American version version is. Yes. But of course there are so many things that can go, that can happen between a property being acquired show making it to air. Um, uh, But um, what if it were, I mean, you know, I think much like uh, the the Korean version, you know, if it's celebrities or public figures who are playing, I wonder if they would have to like post some kind of bonds. Like a lot of times when celebrities are playing on a game show, they play for charity because it's considered, at least on American TV, it's you know somewhat distasteful for celebrities to be playing for prize money. But if each of them put up their own money that would go to a charity of their selection, and like all the celebrity money goes towards the one charity. Um, but then the celebrity is also playing for the prize pool, either to be added to that or to be their prize. I wonder what this game is like if you get people with their own money in the game. And that's so far as I know, never been done on a game show before. And there's probably a good reason. It's probably not a good idea. But like I said, I think about an American version of the genius, like from morning until night. And so sometimes I think about things that aren't as good an idea. And that's one of them. 
Yeah, I mean, well, there's definitely, I mean, there's a lot of games where you're essentially putting your own money at risk. You know, when you're making a wager uh, in Final Jeopardy, if you have a lock game, you know, if you have $35,000 and your closest opponent has 10000 and you can't lose and you bet 5000 on Final Jeopardy, you're, you're literally betting $5,000 of your real money uh, that you can get the question right. So there is some analog to it. And certainly on like Celebrity Mole, right, on those shows, the money wasn't going to charity like those celebrities were playing to win the money. That's good. I didn't know that. Okay, that's great. And I think it's important to remember as I'm, you know, pitching this at all of my terribly fancy meetings around Los Angeles, um, that the mole is a good reminder because that was a network show. And that was well, some, uh, part of it with success. the mole. Part of what the mole, I think, was that like, where are they playing for charity? It would be really distasteful that the mole is like literally just taking money away from charity. <laughs> so it's a question of, uh, as is so often the case in American television, which is the more palatable of these two distasteful choices? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I don't have a big problem if uh, you're giving the money to, to well, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen Celebrity Mole yet because I'm sure, I'm sure it's going to be a big thing again. And so it'll be helpful to be able to watch it organically, not knowing uh, who's going to win. Um, could it be Eric Von Detten or maybe it'll be... Maybe it'll be Stephen Baldwin. What? Is Kathy Griffin on that show? Kathy Griffin was on the first season of it. Um, they weren't all yeah, celebrities in the sense that's that the level of heard of what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, if Kathy Griffin is the level of celebrity who is competing on that show, which I have not seen, I'm like, oh, goodness, give her the money. My God, she's not uh, – <laughs> nobody's going to feel bad about that. She, the woman works hard for the money. Um, yes, she does. All right, so, so the election game, yeah, again, just uh, really strong – you know, elegant construction. What is the quote? Oh, golly. Is it um, a Jesse Shell quote? I can't remember who says a game design is not when there's nothing left to add, but nothing left to take away. And there's no extraneous pieces or parts in the one, two, three game or the election game. And uh, I mean, any of them really, but these are games like, you know, there's the saying that like um, a sculptor looks at a piece of marble and sees the finished product there and just has to get rid of the rest of the rock that's in the way. I mean, yep. these games feel like folk games, you know, they're, they're so, uh, natural. Uh, and I love that about them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, which is kind of how abundant and famine feels our next main match when we get to that. Um, although it doesn't play out that way. Yeah. Abundance and famine. I don't quite agree with I, I wouldn't put it in the same categories of those, those other two. And I guess maybe it's because of, well, I guess we'll, we'll get there in a moment. The only other thing about the election game is that of course, played out on the episode one of the uh not the first but one of the first really great instances of the producers then winding back the camera and uh, winding back the, the clock and showing us what we didn't see before you know of course in the first episode there's the the garnet heist um uh, and then in this episode there's the whole plan where um the uh, one of the uh, women believes that she's going to win the election and then of course it turns out that the whole thing has just been like a charade perpetrated by the true majority alliance love it when that happens never get tired of that yeah yeah so um and yeah honestly for, for all of the um accolades that season four received i didn't find that there were very many instances like this one certainly there were some fish market was a good example um but in most because I don't know, like they played horror race twice and that was not a game that lended itself, at least the way that it ultimately unfurled did not lend itself to this kind of reveal. Yeah. We did but, have kind of a reveal in the second horror race. Um, when it turned out that Sangman had been playing Kyung Hoon the whole time. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you're right. Season four did not have many big reveals like we had in the, in the yeah. early seasons. And I think a large part of that is how straightforwardly Dongman just 
blasted his way through all the games. Hell yeah. So, um, all right. So abundance and famine, this, this was a game yeah, that did famine, not work. It didn't, you know, I, I agree with that assessment, you know, and I think that it doesn't belong in the same category as the one, two, three game and the election game. There's the whole, um, you know, you go into the dealer room to uh, lock in your, your, your tickets and that's fine. That works out well in a lot of games. You know, you go into the dealer room for uh, food chain, which is, you know, my favorite main match. So it's not as though automatically going into the dealer room means that it can't be a great main match. But I think it does mean like a classically elegant main match. I think just the process of um, the ticket buying and the limited number of tickets and the number of rounds and so on. It's, it's an okay you know, I'd put it in the in the back half, but it's uh, it's not. Yeah, yeah. So no, I mean, I, like I said, I I feel like just it's simple. It's it's there's this many breads and this village and that village and and you know you get them if there's if there's few enough people. Um, like the the rules are just very simple, but the way it plays out, it's just not interesting. We wind up and that's really so important. Remember. As, as we evaluate this game, you know, that's something we talk about in the Survivor Challenge Room all the time, which is, you know, there's no good challenge or bad challenge until it's played out. Um, it's, it's the drama, it's the contestants, it's how the story happens. I mean, you can, you can easily imagine, it's certainly conceivable that the games in season one that kind of fall flat, like the, um, the Catch the Thief game uh, and, and Abundance and Famine, you know, if... if different players had executed a different strategy, uh, then maybe something funny or surprising could have happened. But in this instance, they, they, they did their duty. They provided a strategic exercise. They produced some winners and a loser, but they make it into the hallowed halls. Yeah. But the next, the next main match is, is better by all accounts. And that is the zombie game. Oh, the zombie game. And really the zombie game was a little bit hamstrung because you had uh, what was the name of the uh, the woman? Yeah, Jung Moon. Jung Moon, and she came back and played in season four, right? Yeah, that was not great. Um, <laughs> well, and you know, she had the same problem when she was a uh, a rebel. Um, you know, she was just uh, easy to read. Now you could say that you know Dong Min read her in season four, and Dong Min can read. You know, he is so gifted in that capacity. You know, he can read inanimate objects. He can reach into a dark box and discriminate between different, you know, infinitesimal weight uh, chips. So, you know, he got, she got uh, read by the best. You can't hold that against her too much. But it's remarkable that in a game that's predicated on two people being secret and one of those secrets not being a secret at all, being quite an open secret, the game, and I credit that to a number of factors one of them is the wonderful, uh, the the uh, sort of romantic comedy exchange that takes place between Jung Moon and Sung Yu. Um, <laughs> are you a human or a per- person? I'm a woman. Um, that's great. And um, the the after effects, the uh, the uh, animation that makes the players look like zombies is great. And really, the theming of the game uh, is makes this uh, is, is Jane McGuff her way through the genius uh, sent me an email saying that th- this was her favorite main match to date and no surprise there. I think this is another good one for somebody who's never seen the show. 
This is one that snags people, I think, who are, you know, they, they like the Garnet heist in the first episode and, and they're sort of ambling along. The death matches aren't getting them with winning streaking tactically, Utenori, but, but this main match, I think, captures the imagination of a lot of people who, who are on the fence to this point. And I think this is the episode that locks in a lot of people watching The Genius. And per our, uh, our talk today, this is a game that actually uh, several times and it works great. So what, what do you do to play this game? What does it take? Because it's not commercially available, to my knowledge. You need to make up some scoring charts. Um, I recommend having two people. I'll tell you, you know, this, I haven't told this story before. So my, friend, my business partner, Greg, and I, you know, he, he watched the whole first season, and then he liked it, but he wasn't hooked enough to watch the rest. But we fabricated materials to play this game. So we made some scoring charts with blanks from 1 to 10 for the 10 players, and then... Uh, Horizontally, you have columns that indicate how many touches they made in a particular round, whom they exchanged with, and at what point they became a zombie. Uh, and so you track their points, and then you also have a box for when they drank their elixir. Um, we modified the rules that you had. Boy, what did we do? Golly, this was about, about two years ago. Right around this time, actually, we played it for Halloween. I think our rules mod was that the elixir, you know, you... you you didn't have the great thing you have on a TV show, which is somebody can go off into a room and drink the elixir with nobody else around. Mm -hmm. The camera sees it and it counts. That's really cool. We didn't do that. It didn't turn out to be too much of a problem though. Um, You had to drink your elixir, I think before the round was over that you were contaminated. Whereas I think it was a time limit on the show or maybe that's vice versa. Do you remember what was the restriction on when you had to drink the elixir? It was in a few, like five minutes or something, I think. It would have okay, so quick. you did it by round instead of by time. Um, whatever the show did, we did the opposite. Uh, okay. And um, you could take, so Greg and I were running the game. We had lab coats on, uh, and we, yeah, the wise, so our company's called Wise Guys Events, and we ran this game at, uh, it is an event called Mindshare, and it's, uh, they used to do one every month in Los Angeles, and uh, they, they haven't done them for quite some time. It was a salon you would go to a, a space in downtown Los Angeles and the centerpiece of the evening would be several Ted style talks. But before and after there was a bar and usually a band and often art or artists creating work live. And for about a year residents and we produced a new game every month. And so um, at the Halloween Mindshare two years ago, which was a masquerade ball, um, we brought, you know, caution tape and roped off an area with signs that said Wise Guys Zombie Research Initiative. Um, and when people wanted to play the game, when we had 10 volunteers, we would teach them the rules. And up front, we were like, okay, you guys, this game, it's kind of tricky. There's a bunch of rules, so hang in there. But I think that the, um, the uh, collateral materials and the theming got people interested enough that they were going to hang around in there. So we gave them each their elixir and it was little vials that we poured cranberry juice into and people asked us what was in it. And we were like, it's an elixir. And they were like, and that was fun also, like in kind of a Halloween spook house, like it's sort of like you're going to reach your hand into the bowl in the dark and there's like spaghetti and peeled eyeballs, peeled grapes in there. And it's like, Oh, and the same thing is like, we're getting, it looks like it's probably cranberry juice, but because you're at a Halloween event, your imagination kind of runs away with you. Like, am I drinking poison? Is this going to taste bitter? And then somebody's like, I have food allergies. We're like, ah, you're taking all the mystery out of it. Fine, it's cranberry juice. Um, and to perpetrate a touch, silly, we, uh, we brought a beach ball and a flashlight. And so you like hold the flashlight against the beach ball. And when the two players place their hands on the beach ball, you click the flashlight on for a second and then off and the beach ball glows. And that like registers as a touch. So there's like a little 
there. Yeah, just adding the small amount of theatricality, the razzle-dazzle to it. Um, and it was really interesting. I remember one instance where there was a woman who, in the third round, all she had to do was drink her elixir, which she had unused, and she would have won the game. Her friends were telling her that. She was like, nope. So she didn't. Um, and there was a woman who played with her mom. They both happened to be there. And her mom did such a good job of convincing everybody that her daughter couldn't be a zombie that they all touched her. And her daughter was a zombie. And the mom didn't know that. <laughs> the mom everybody else. Um, so, you know, sometimes the just like on Survivor, the Survivor gods smile upon you. Every time we played this game, the genius gods have smiled on us. Something, something more than just the, the you know, execution of strategy takes place. Something funny. So, um, yeah, this, this game, it, I, I did it and so can you. So you just, you just basically need to have someone who can run the game as the dealer and that's it. Yeah. There was two of us okay. and, uh, my friend Greg is, um, he's not only a game designer. He also had, um, he's a ref for the, uh, Los Angeles. Well, up until very recently, he was the head referee for the LA Derby dolls. So, um, he's really good. At, you know, if you can imagine that he looks at like, a. Uh, a track full of skating women moving around and keeping track of who is in to each other that they can engage in combat and keeping all these rules and players in motion in his mind. He's a good person to help have uh, running the game. He's a much better referee than I am. I get confused very quickly um, as to what's going on and who's scoring points. Uh, so I recommend for a game like this, two people uh, refing is a good idea. Okay. That's great. So zombie game, zombie game is on our list of recommended for playing at home. Uh, and that takes us to scamming horse race, which I think would be great to play at home if there were some way to reliably uh, surprise, have, you know, surprising new uh, race outcomes that you could play. But I mean, again, you know, for, for you running the game for people, um, you know, in, a, in an art fair or whatever, that, like that makes more sense because you're getting new people and you can reuse the same numbers, the same clues again. Um, but with scamming horse race, like if you want to have an at home party and you want to play yourself, uh, that's, that's really hard to do without someone else designing the math for you. Yeah. And you know, scamming horse race is really, I want to say it's, it's a, it's a puzzle that's been turned and you know, you could kind of say the same thing about the one, two, three game, but I think this is more clearly like this reminds me, I mean, didn't we play games like this in like fifth grade math? where you learn a little bit of information and then you have to put together what you know. I mean, certainly the best is what makes it a game. And uh, that's certainly very interesting. And I think this was a good, um, another good uh, example of Sang Min, who I believe when he gets his clue and he's negotiating with other people who's going to trade information, he goes, well, my, my clue is the best. I mean, the information that I have, you can win the game just by knowing what I know. And I don't remember what his information was. Uh, you know, maybe it was that great, but it seemed like it wasn't any better or any worse than anybody else's information. But he's such a good salesman. And he does have a great track record. Miraculous draws, right? Like yeah. he, draws, he draws the snake and food chain. He, yeah, but that's not predictive. That's just... Draw. A lucky draw, but he spun it like it was, and that's just as important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um I mean, it's a, it's a fun game. I enjoyed watching it. it. It is a lot like those logic puzzles that we used to do. Um, Ted lives yeah. in a yellow house that doesn't like green vegetables, and Betsy mm-hmm. lives John and Joe and only eats vegetables the same color as her house, and Billy lives in a brown house and has six people chained up in the basement. I guess that logic puzzle took a dark turn, but that kind of uh, 
that kind of puzzle is sort of the inspiration for this. It seems like right, right. So um, I give it a thumbs up if you can find a way to play it. But that's I, I don't have an answer for you again besides letting someone else do do all the math uh, so that you can you know play it yourself. Um, next up is catch. Buy horses. Sorry, you're going to play this game buy buy toy horses and paint them different colors. People will want that. Yeah, not real horses because they just make a terrible mess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so next up is Catch the Thief, which is another game that just didn't work. I mean, it's incredible in the way the game played out that the room with five people wound up losing to the room with three people. Like all three people from the smaller village wound up controlling the majority in the big village. Um, but that's that's more a question of like the dynamics between uh, some of the more contentious personalities. But it becomes clear so click- quickly uh, who the thief is that at that point it's just a question of like who can build a majority in the room where the thief is. Uh, to to win the game, yeah, it's it play, it's like in that regard. Like you built this game around secret identities, and very quickly the secret identity is no longer a secret. And so, whereas um, another example of that, like the jury game, um, the jury game became so amazing because both teams were trying to lose because they knew who the leader of the other team was or thought they knew. Um, so that was interesting. That game wasn't necessarily supposed to be about, like, it, it wasn't, there's nothing to catch the thief, really, except the secret of the thief. Likewise with rebels and loyalists. I mean, there's a little bit more going on. But once that secret identity is revealed, the game, then there's not much air left in it. And that, that could have been the case with Jury Game, but luckily it wasn't. And a lot of the credit for that also goes to Dogmen. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, so we'll 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 get to we'll get to the jury game later on. Um, but yeah, this is not a game that I would play at home. There's just not enough riding on it. There's not enough going on in this game. Um, this one hardly seems worth it. Yep. So uh, let's go on to Open Pass, which would be a really fun one to spring on unsuspecting people. This one also doesn't really work at home. Um, again, you've just you've got to have more riding on it. You've got to have people who are really motivated to look for the secret in the game which you, you just wouldn't have in a smaller environment. So in season one, there's open is played with cards that have a secret. In season two is God's judgment, which is played with dice that have a secret. I have spent time trying to think, are there any other game materials like cards or dice that represent that could be manipulated in a genius like environment to not sticks. Ute sticks. Hmm. So there should be Ute sticks with a secret? They could be. I mean, that's the final frontier, isn't it? How have they... That idea is brilliant. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you'd you'd think, like, maybe you could have a magnet on one side of the board, and if you throw it that way, it'll always land with the spots up or, you know, whatever. But um, it seems like there's got to be some way to do it. I wouldn't do that certainly on the American version of the show, but for season five, they could, they could have uh, rigged Ute sticks. That idea. That's a great idea. See, all I could think of was the spinner, like from the game of life. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little right. childlike for the genius. Automatic um, trouble. <laughs> well, that's just dice again though. Um, yeah, but you can't, uh, but yeah, you can't uh, twist them open inside the bubble. You think you can't, but it has a false bottom like the today's menu box. So that's that's the secret. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So again, Open Pass is a is a great game. It plays out brilliantly on TV in large part because Jinho figures out the secret. It's a much worse game if either nobody figures out the secret or like everybody figures out the secret. 
But yeah, this was such an important main match and such an important episode because the thing, what, it was episode uh, seven or yeah. something? Yeah. And they, But for six weeks, we've been playing games about logic. Why are they now having us guess what's on the back of these cards? It doesn't make any sense. And, of course, the answer is that they weren't. Now, the way I remember it is Jin, so the cards they gave them had black backs, and then the the most of the packs that people bought had a dark blue back, so they they looked nearly the same so much so that nobody really realized that they were different until Jin Ho buys what he buys like the middle value card, and that it was Sung Yu. Sung Yu bought yeah bought the red pack as well. Oh, it was Sung Yu bought the red. pack? He was the first oh, one to figure. Yeah, so Jin Ho didn't even realize that there were uh, uh, red cards. I don't think until. Um, Later on, but but Jin Ho was the only one who figured out the symmetrical, right? That he could yeah. he could them, uh, he could rotate them uh, vertically. Yes, and yeah. actually, um, as you know, I'm a I'm a professional magician. Um, uh, that's, that's my job. And when I looked, when I saw these cards, those were my first thoughts. Was like, hmm, I wonder if these are one way cards. One way cards are cards where the back design is oriented a certain way. Where if you turn, if you rotated the card 180 degrees, um, you could tell which card had been selected or which card had been you know had been changed um so that the, and you know i'm sitting there watching the show like well i'll never i'll never know if that's how it is but if i were playing the game that was the first thing i would look for and uh uh sure enough jinho figured that out so i was i was very pleased with myself that i had been correct yes you should be that is very clever that's like when my wife guesses the endings of movies um she's very good at that kind of thing oh i don't guess uh, <laughs> you know I'm, yeah, I'm pretty good at that. My wife doesn't like when I tell her what's going to happen in movies because I'm right. All the th- it's the same. It's the same thing. I think I just can't wait for my little surprise. Like I got to figure it out and spoil it for myself. Yeah, uh, harder to do with the genius, but in this instance, that that, that was the case for you. Now, are there any uh, getting back to this fictional American version of the genius that we just tantalize ourselves with, even though it's not a very likely prospect? Are there any American magicians who, though they might not be known to like a wide audience, you think would be good cast? Yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to play. Um, who's not known to a wide audience? I mean, I, I don't know them either. If they're not known that widely, to be honest, like mm. I'm not. I mean, certainly, if you do a celebrity version, Pendulette's going to be one of the contestants. So uh, you might have oh, a, you know, like a well-known heard, magician. I haven't, heard, I haven't heard anybody put his name on the list, but I think that it's a really good one. He was on Celebrity Apprentice. Um, he's smart. He talks. He's he's not going to be afraid to say what he thinks and to play hard. You know, I think if you're if you're casting a celebrity version in America, he's he's got to be on the short list. Yeah, you know, I've heard people talk about Neil Patrick Harris because he's also a magician, but he I is. haven't heard him uh, mention uh, Penn Jillette. I think that's and I feel like Penn Jillette is like is like as close as you're going to get to American Dongman. That he's going to just. Mean, I think that. He's, he's going to stand up and dominate. He's going to say, look, here's how I'm going to do it. And if any of you want to stop me, then then go ahead. Feel free. Here I am. He's going to dominate. I, I don't know that he's going to have the same results, but um, yeah, like I, I just, I think that's, that's the same like personality type. Um, well, we need to find out. We need, we need to look into his background and find out if, when he was a kid, what did he play with Legos or sticks? Because if he played with sticks then he'll definitely win the American genius. If he played with Legos, then probably not. Yeah. Then he'll just take second place. That's a good point. All right. So um, let's move on to Kong's Dilemma, which I know is one of your absolute favorites. Yeah. And I don't even remember it. I think I don't like, <laughs> if I try to explain it, I'd probably get it wrong, but I just love the, 
um, the, the, the push and pull, the topsy-turvy inversion balance of your team has to pay, your team has to pay the most beans to win, but you as an individual have to conserve the most beans to win. That is so good. Yeah, but it does it does limit the ability to play it at home because again, what are you playing for? And the genius you're playing to be safe from the death match um, at home. Again, like this game is 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 fantastic if you're doing like an all out genius themed like day of genius games and you're you're really playing it. You know, like you played the Survivor LA or whatever. You know, if you're playing like genius Omaha, then this is one you can throw on the list. But if you're just you know if it's just a regular game night and you want to add this one to the mix, um, again, like the fact that there is no death match and there are no, there are no garnets to be won. Um, it's, it's a, it's a really compelling game, but uh, it just changes the motivation so much. Like you, you want your team to win the game because then you get garnets. Um, but you also want to personally be the winner because then you get safety and there's no way to really duplicate that in a, in a home game. No, I think you might be selling it short, Scott. I got to push back on that a little bit. I'm envisioning this as like a, are you familiar with the game two Two Rooms and a Boom by Tuesday Night Games out of Texas. You've told me about that, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later if we get to uh, other games that would make great main matches for at-home genius nights. Um, so it's, you know, it plays the same way, basically. In, in Two Rooms and a Boom, you're the red team or the blue team, and one team wins and one team loses, so half the people there are winners. I have not played this game at home, but I'm just picturing a, And again, I think I, I kind of give the game designers... Um, a lot of credit and just figure like if this game is for six players, it's probably with good reason. And, you know, maybe you can't play with eight or you can, but you shouldn't. Um, I, I probably wouldn't. I think that it's really uh, admirable and cool the way that you, you know, tinkered with um, monorail and added some extra pieces to it. I think I don't have enough confidence in my ability to like, um, you know, do the arithmetic to, to see if the game remains well, balanced. There. Well, when you talk about that adding extra people, like part of the part of what they're doing is like, let's say they have like third or whatever, 12 main matches they want to use in the season, right? They're going to match them up as best they can with the number of people. But certainly some of those games can be played with different numbers of people and they just choose, you know, okay, well, we need a game for when there's six people. So let's make that when we do uh, Kong's Dilemma. You, know, you talk about like the jury game in season three, which we'll get to. Um, the at-home version, which we'll also talk about, is designed to be played by five to ten people. But on the Genius, they play it with twelve. Now, would it have worked any differently, or better, or worse with fewer people? I don't know. But certainly, you could have done it with nine or ten people instead of twelve people. So, I think Kong's Dilemma is a game where it's, it strikes me that you definitely could play that game with with a different, even number of people. I mean, you could probably play it with as few as four people and still get away with it. Although, I guess. No, I take that back because with four people, if you know you put in three and your team lost with three Kongs, then you know your your teammate put in zero. So yeah. that that makes it a little too transparent. But um, yeah, six. I think it works with four or with uh, with eight and four on a team. Um, maybe even with ten. Just like two rooms in a boom, you know, half the people win and half the people lose. And on the winning team, one person is the winner. I mean, that seems like a, a pretty. I didn't realize that one person is is the winner on the winning team. Yeah, the person who uh, the individual with the most beans left. No, no, on, on Kong's dilemma. Yeah, but I mean, in two rooms and a boom. No, uh, I, that Just is where it breaks down. Oh, yeah, right, right. So if you right. played Kong's dilemma at home, you would have a winning team. You'd have a winning individual and a losing team. And I think you know, even casual gamers would be willing to try a game like that because it's not too long. I think pretty easy to explain. 
you, you would still need somebody in the dealer uh, to count the beans and reveal the losing count. Um, mm. But I, I, you know, let's give this one a try. I'll try it. All right, know, I'll put it on the list. Yeah. It's on the list. All right, so next up is Expression Auction. And uh, this is a game where you are trying to make, first, you're trying to make an expression, but second, you're trying to make an expression that is equal to 10. And um, uh, Sangman has a, has a very bad thought that, well, why don't we all just make 10? Because as soon as one person makes 10, the game's over. Yeah. Um, this is some, um, there have been many, there have been several good auction games. I don't think there's ever been like a, an auction game that was a turd, but this being the first one, uh, it's just so fun. You know, auction mechanics, you know, there's many games that are based on, on auction mechanics and many variations on them. And this one is, uh, I just think it's so fun. It's such a treat and it plays really interesting as well. Um, you know, bidding with the blocks and, and then they introduce the one. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, a, this, this is one that, this is one that you, you, I think does translate to a home version. This is one you could play at home. Mm. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, and I don't even think you have to change anything about it. I mean, you can't, you can't auction off for the 11 cube like that. You can't do, but the rest of it, um, you could even keep the order of the numbers the exact same. I think this one you can you can definitely play at home pretty straightforwardly. A terrific New York-based game designer named Eric Zimmerman, and he made up a game called 16 Tons. And Eric's games are very thoughtful, and they're usually about something more than just playing a game in Winners and Losers. 16 Tons is a game that is... Uh, it's kind of... Uh, it's about labor. And um, the, the board is, uh, it's, it's a jumbo, it's kind of a life-sized board. Uh, and you're moving pieces that are kind of like the, uh, the size and shape of like, if you imagine a, a little, uh, like ashtray that would be next to an elevator, um, kind, of, kind of like that, you know, like knee height and circular. And you've got two that are your color and they start on opposite sides of the board. And the board is just like four by four circles. The object of the game, in pieces next to each other. But when it's your turn, you don't move a piece. You auction off your labor. You, you take your turn by saying, put me to work. And the other players all have $3 of their own money that they started the game with. And they bid on who hire you. And um, whoever wins the auction will direct you to move any piece on the board. It will probably not be your own. So your own turn is when you are least likely to move your own piece. And then once you win an auction, you've got a fistful of bucks in your hand, and then you can usually outbid the other players when the next player takes a turn. So it's a very interesting game. It was showcased at Indiecade here in Los Angeles. And I, up until this moment, hadn't thought of it in the context of the genius, but that is one that I think would be really fun to adapt as well. That's, that's really cool. That's a great idea. Um, you just want to do that, Eric Zimmerman. Yeah. Yeah, I, I gotta, I gotta write that down. Eric Zimmerman. James. Yeah, check it out and and look up sixteen tons. It's very playable at home. You could fabricate it with just slips of paper. Cool. Um, all right. So uh, expression auction, good. Played at home. Next up, confined scamming horse race. We we pretty much covered that already with scamming horse race. So let's move on to the five five game. Did yeah, like but we have to hover on that just for a moment, just because oh, sure. I know that we are having these main matches in the context of, of 
how playable they are at home. But I think it's also we're, we're spending at least a moment to acknowledge how they play on the show and confine scamming horse race. I feel like if you weren't already a Sangmin fan for whatever reason, by the time this episode comes around, I mean, this is such a great episode for Sangmin. It's really like the culmination of, of the, like the love story between the Sunbay and the Hubei and, um, you know, getting, getting the friends in on the game, having the, the players confined in the rooms and throwing notes for their prisoners and papillon. Um, just a very, very entertaining episode, uh, but, uh, but not suitable for home play, I, I shouldn't think. No, definitely not. But yeah, the, the garnet toss from uh, Sung Yu to, to Sangman, where Sangman's like, uh, this is a little light. Uh, just, just. Feels light. Feels light. <laughs> so, uh, the five five game. Now, the five five game. I gotta say, um, I I like this game a lot. You certainly couldn't play it again, but I I really liked that they end the first round. You, you know, you're talking to these people. You don't know what you're trying to find out. You don't know what you're trying to learn. And then the first round ends, and it's explained to them, and they go, "Oh, how do we make five five questions out of like what little we've learned so far?" Uh, I think it's brilliant. Uh, I love this game, and you know, I. Th- if you played, the, I think you could play this game with people who haven't seen the show. Um, yes. Although, come to think of it, you would need, and I think it doesn't matter how many players there are, and that's not true of very many games. Um, it doesn't matter how many players there are, but you would need 10 people to just come over to your house and mill around for a while, so that doesn't seem very realistic. Um, I don't know that you need that. But, I think uh, if you have a pretty diverse group of friends, let's say you have seven people, each person poses... X number of questions for the other six people, but the questions are like composed separately. So everybody goes off and they write their five questions or whatever. Um, and then uh, uh, after everyone's written their questions, then, then you ask your questions uh, that you can't change at that point um, and, and see what kind of answers you get. I would like to try playing this in like a party scenario. I think it's a really interesting too. idea. And as soon as somebody tumbled, like saying men does, as soon as somebody tumbled to the notion of like, oh, forget their bios, phrase all, all superficial, visible characteristics, basically over, although it does take some ingenuity to determine those. I think that it's really interesting the way that the Korean language imposes this, uh, or, you know, they, they create a character limit. Um, and it sort of reminds me of Twitter. I think it'd be mm-hmm. like, if you, you have to phrase your question, because you could go, okay, raise your hand if you are from Baltimore or you're allergic to peanut butter, or your father died at a circus. And when you know that, like, that describes, uh, you know, half the people there. Um, but uh, if, if the character limitation is there, either through the language or through Twitter, uh, I think that's probably a clever constraint so that the questions must be, to a certain extent at least, succinct. Yeah, brevity. Brevity is the soul of wit. Yeah, actually, watching the game the first time, like, as Sangman's going and he's struggling up there on his first turn, and I'm just thinking, like, dude, like... Like, how about ask them, like, I am standing or I'm wearing a red dress or, you know, whatever, you know, ask, you know, like you can look at them and you can see what's going on. Uh, you know, you, you can, you, from what you see right now, having asked them no questions, you could come up with three questions and get a five, five on them. So, um, yeah, I, I like this game. I think this game is underrated. You certainly can't play it again, but you could play it at home if you want to run it for your friends. But if you've seen the game yourself, you could never play this game. Is there a, is there a twist that the producers could do to re- this game and spring it on, on players and have it be different enough? That's a good question. Um, I, not off the top of my head, but there may be. There may be some, some key twist to it. Um, 
But yeah, I, wonder I don't know. If there were like, um, if it was, and there were 12 people who they talked to, and 10 of them were randomly selected to be the person, people that you asked questions of, and you could spend garnets to swap the other two people who are on the sidelines in or out for yourself or for other questions. You know, it might be worth, the. I, there might be some more juice left in this one. Yeah. Just the game-breaking strategy was discovered, and so we shouldn't play it anymore. But I do wonder, or, you know, putting them behind us, like, a, you know, talking to them, but then putting them behind a screen when you're asking the questions, confined five and five game. Anyway, this this was a great one. This is the this was the main match that determined who would make it into the finals. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Great great placement for this game. All right, so let's uh, let's move on to season two, and uh, you know what? Let's just skip food chain. I don't think it's that important in the history of the genius. Yeah, the hell with food chain. No, I mean, what I'm I'm on the record as saying that Food Chain is a is a fantastic game. It's a wonderful game. It's not simple, has a lot of rules, complexity. Um, but once you understand it, it's it's very playable. I love this game. It it, it, really, it spoke to me. It inspired me. Certainly entertained me and delighted me. And I produced it for a birthday party at my house last year, and I believe I'll be doing it again this year. So to anybody else who wants to produce this game, here's sort of maybe not a step-by-step, but um, the screen uh, screenshots are your friend. If you're producing this game for a party, just, you know, uh, if you're already watching it on your computer on on daily motion, it's already subtitled into English. So as Bandage Man is explaining the rule to the contestants, just screen grab his rules and wouldn't have uh, like 30 or 40 slides and just put those into preview or into a keynote and you'll have a presentation that you can show your friends and advance through it at your own pace. Um, something I always talk about in game design is um, that we, in games we say the object of this game is, it's like saying once upon a time at the beginning of a story. And with food chain, uh, it's, it's not quite that simple. So I think it's really good at the beginning to, you know, just as Bandage Young says, saying to your players, the interaction of 13 predator and prey animals makes up the game food chain. So people may not know what the object is at that time, but they're like, okay, yeah, we're in a forest and big animals eat little ones. Okay, I'm with you so far. Then you go through the rules. You go through the four zones. When you're producing this game at home, you'll need four discrete areas, whether they're outside, inside, or mixed rooms. Uh, I think I hear your child, Scott. Um, yeah, she's she's waking up for a nap. I think she wants to be part of the conversation about food chain. Um, well, speaking of food chain, I can't feed her, so there's nothing I can do for her right now. <laughs> uh, um, I'll let you have that conversation with your wife. Um, so uh, the the four discrete areas. Now, when we did this, I you know I have a pool at my home, and so we made that the river and the tree growing. We made that the forest. And I have a study where the walls are painted blue. We made that in the sky. So we had a little bit of fun with that. It's not, I mean, you could stage it at a party and you could, you could go all out. You could go to Party City and buy some decorations. You could buy blue balloons for the sky room if you wanted to. And the thing we did that was rather different. Um, okay, so uh, we had, well, okay, we had five refs, one ref in each zone, and then one head ref. And they used group me which is an app that's kind of like a group text, but uh, a little better. So that if, you know, Joe is the ref in the sky room and the eagle attacks the 
uh, Egyptian plover, then Joe, who's the ref in the sky room, will send a message to all the other ref. You know, the play, the Egyptian, not the Egyptian plover, Susie, you know, has been killed. And so everybody's got, all the other reps get the information because on the show, the information about who kills whom and in what order and when is revealed to all the other players via the TVs that are in each room. <laughs> so we replicated that group me. It's a free app. I recommend it. The other thing that we did to make the game go a little speedier was this. The five refs conferred at the beginning of the game and randomly numbered the players from one to 13 and just gave them their animals rather than let the players like, draw cards that were face down. Still done by chance. So then the pre-game dealer session went like this. All 13 players could go to any of the five refs. So it went pretty quickly because each ref only had to talk to two or three people at the most. And you went and you, and this is important, if you were the chameleon, you locked in which animal you pretended to be. Then the refs all conferred with each other and, learned, and all shared the information of who the chameleon was pretending to be. And then for a second time, the players all go to the refs and lock in their one or two peaks. And so now all the refs have everybody's information, including who the chameleon is. So with two short visits to the ref with a short confab in between, everybody has all the information they need to play. Just like the contestants on season two, we did a practice round first, and then we did a full game. And what was nice about that is everybody got to be two animals for the most part. You were one animal for the practice round, and even if you died right away, you then had an opportunity to play at least one more round because that was just the practice. Um, what did you draw? What were you for the main game? Okay, so in the practice round, I was... Um, I don't remember what I was for the practice round, but in the main game, the first game, I was the Egyptian plover, and the crocodile got eaten in the first round, so I couldn't win right from the beginning. So that's a little disappointing, but... <laughs> <laughs> I did. My dad was the crow and I had, you know, I knew who the lion was. And so I gave him a head, you know, I, I shared some information. I was the exact picture of the kind of player who, who there's not going to be a death match and there's nothing at stake. But of course I was, so, um, in the second game, I was the otter and I was one of the four animals who have an opportunity at immortality if they can get in the same room. But the eagle very foolishly did not go to the strand. If you're the eagle, there is no reason not to go to the sky for the first two rounds because the lion can't eat you in the sky and nobody else can. And you can starve for one round. So if you go to the sky and the first birds don't go to the sky, fine. They have to go to the sky in the second round. Although I suppose it's possible they could have all been eaten. So it is possible you could die in the sky in the second round if you're the eagle, but it's not very likely. So the eagle very foolishly, you know, he overthought it. He, it was Greg, actually, and he's a smart guy, but he went to the field and got eaten by the lion, if you can imagine such a thing. And so what that meant was that the duck was like, all I have to do is go to the sky every round and I can't die because the reach me in the sky is the eagle, and the eagle is dead. And so here am I, the otter, being like, no, don't go to the sky. Come to the river, and we can all be immortal. And the mallard, who's this woman who I know you know, quite well, and she's smart and she's a gamer, was like, uh, no, fuck you. Pardon my language, but why would I leave the sky? All I have to do is stay the course, and I win. And, of course, she was right, and I couldn't persuade her otherwise. Um, but, uh, it was, uh, there, there was a lot of fun, a lot of fun at that game. 
Yeah, it makes it actually sound a lot of fun. And this is a game that I, I know you love and uh, hadn't had that appeal for me. Uh, but just hearing your enthusiasm for it, like is, is igniting that flame in myself. Uh, this is not one that I have tried. This is one that overwhelmed me uh, the first time I watched it, probably the second time I watched it. Um, but I, I never really sat down with like pencil and paper and thought about the strategy. So um, that is, you know, uh, it's my fault. Um, yeah. So, so I guess if you've got, you know, your 18 dedicated buddies, uh, this would be a great one to play, but you really do need a lot of people to play food chain. You need a lot of people to play it. And yeah, you mentioned pencil and paper. I provided pencil and paper for all the players. And I also just like on the show, I gave everybody a cheat sheet. It had the chart on one side that showed each animal and what its win condition is. And that's just a simple document that I made in word. And what I should have done very foolishly is put the pyramid with the lion on the top on the reverse of that paper. And I think I meant to, but I forgot to, but I had already prepared the keynote that had the pyramid as one of the slides. And so I just the TV in the main room. Oh, you also want a room where the dead players can hang out and you should have snacks and drinks in that room. Um, uh, so, you know, I know I believe I haven't yet. I'm not caught up on Dom and Collins podcast. And I think that they poo poo food chain. I think they're not fans of it. And you know, different things. There are survivor challenges that I like that nobody else likes and, and challenges that I, you know, I, sometimes I'm with the majority and sometimes I'm outside. And I know a lot of genius fans think that fruit stand is an amazing game. And, uh, I don't, you know, it kind of left me cold, even, even the way that it played out. Uh, you know, I didn't find it to be a particularly interesting or memorable game. So, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm food chain's probably biggest advocate. Um, but I'm here to tell you, I, I have evidence on the fun party. That's great. That's great. Um, all right. Uh, oh, and I did uh, uh, one, one last thing on food chain, which is when I approached the dealer before, even though there was nobody around but me and a bunch of people, like these four dealers who had not seen the show, uh, I uh, got my draw. I quoted, oh, I forget, the, the, the fellow who wears the Oakland A's cap, who before he walks in the dealer, on. yeah, he prays, oh, please let me be the snake. I step out and have fun. So I said that too, just as a little inside joke only for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have fun. Yeah, it was my birthday. This is how I have fun. Yeah, snake seems like a good draw. Um, just because you, you're you not getting eliminated and you, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah, all right. And- this game that's a really good point which is i think that there is a small uh, and i hesitate to even say this i believe there is a mistranslation in the rules pattern i believe bum diddly um just makes a very small mistake um, okay sorry somebody's calling me uh i will not take that because i'm about to all right so yeah so i believe that there is a small mistranslation wait, wait, hang on hang on hang on maybe it's for me is, is the call calling for me oh my god this is you really are a magician. If I miss um, a booking because you you declined a call that was intended for me but went to your phone a couple thousand miles away, I'm going to be very upset with you, Miles. Listen, Scott, I know you're a magician, but you're not that good at. Hey, where's my wallet? Um, yeah. No, if I if I were good, I wouldn't be sending business calls to other people's phones. <laughs> um, there's a small mistranslation. Getting back to Bandage Human's rule pattern, um, whether the snake has to kill more than nine contestants or nine or more contestants. And 
if you go strictly by Bum's translation in the subtitles, it says more than nine. But there are other resources, and actually elsewhere in the episode, it's actually nine or more. So if the snake, if nine people die, then the snake has met his win condition. Um, it's for it's ten people to die in the snake to meet the win condition, but that's not actually uh, how the game is intended, which you wouldn't know if you were just going off of the subtitle uh, rules pattern. So make sure that that adjustment is reflected on your game materials. All right, Miles. Well, this seems like a good spot to put a pin in it. Uh, we can come back to it later. We're going to turn this podcast into a two or maybe even three parter for Genius Cast. I'm Scott. Follow me on Twitter at who is Scott Green. Follow Miles at Miles Nye M Y L E S N Y E. And please don't forget right now if it is October sixth, two thousand fifteen or earlier. Go right now to thegreatscott.com, T-H-E-G-R-E-A-T-S-C-O-T-T.com slash games. Get that Kickstarter going. Back at $25, we're going to get this thing going, and uh, you'll get those great games. So thanks again, everybody, for Genius Cast. signing off. Fighting.